This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 92, part 2 of the history of the six-day race. In this episode, the six-day event comes to America and pedestrians try to reach 400 and 500 miles indoors. Please help this podcast to continue by becoming an Ultra Running History patron. You can sign up to contribute a few dollars each month. Go to ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become my partner. That's ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become a Patreon member. Will do. The six-day race, never on Sunday, became the most popular ultra-running or pedestrian event of the 19th century. In part one of this series, Foster Powell started it all back in 1773 when he ran 400 miles in six days in England on a coach road. During the next 50 years, ultra-runners tried to match and beat his historic effort, especially during the four-year six-day frenzy of 1822 through 1825. But after that, interest faded for nearly 50 years until American Edward Payson Weston came onto the pedestrian stage. Reaching the 1870s, the Six-Day Challenge had not yet been exported outside of Britain, but that changed as the challenge reached America and moved almost exclusively indoors thanks to Weston. He became the most famous pedestrian in history. Edward Payson Weston was born in Providence, Rhode Island on March 15, 1839. He was not very strong as a boy and took up walking to improve his health with exercise. He started long-distance walking by selling a book written by his mother door-to-door for 40 miles in Connecticut. Probably the most famous of all the great walkers was Edward Payson Weston. Weston the pedestrian, as he was known, started his path, so to speak, after losing a bet. Due to Abraham Lincoln winning the election, Weston had to walk 478 miles in 10 days to get to Lincoln's inauguration. Well, he missed the inauguration, and he lost the bet. But only by a bit, and he went on to dance at the inaugural ball that evening. You're going to name a famous athlete in America at the time, uh, not even just a walker, just a famous athlete. Uh, the first name that would come to mind in the uh, mid-1870s would be Edward Payson Weston, undisputed champ. Weston always spent 110% of what, what he earned. He always was in money, financial trouble. So what he would do is he would get people to back him on big wagers for walking events. One of the most famous was uh, walking from Portland, Maine to Chicago uh, in 25 days, I believe it was. And uh, this was a $10,000 wager that somebody uh, bet him that he couldn't do it. And so he did do it and uh, he made the, the, you know, he won the wager and this is how he supported himself. But later, Weston also received criticism as he failed in some wagering walking attempts, and he was called a humbug by many. During 1870, Weston came up with the idea to attempt to walk 400 miles in five days as runners 50 years earlier were trying to do. Heaven knows I've got too far to go During November 1870, Weston made his attempt to reach 400 miles within six days 
and he was confident that he could actually do it within five days. Weston's $5,000 wager agreement also required him to walk 112 miles within a 24-hour period. The event was billed as being a scientific experiment sponsored by a committee of medical men. These are our newly arrived surgeons, Drs. Trowbridge and Greenbaum. Doctor? 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 Professor Charles Doramus, a chemist of Bellevue Hospital Medical College in New York City, headed up the team to help Weston and study the walk. The Brooklyn newspaper joked about all the doctors that would watch and poke him. Weston's case will command much sympathy. It is bad enough to get in the hands of one doctor, but the victim of half a dozen is indeed a deplorable plight. <laughs> the event was held in the Empire Skating Rink in New York City. This was a massive ice skating rink under an arched cast iron structure enclosed within a large building. For Weston's 400-mile try, newspapers promised a, quote, grand promenade concert each afternoon and evening put on by the Empire Rink full military band. Admission was 50 cents. The walking track laid down on the surface was measured out as being a little less than seven laps to the mile. Weston's walk began on November 21, 1870, at 12.30 a.m., he entered the scene accompanied by Ole Bull, a famous Norwegian violinist. The 19th century brought Norway its first star. The man was Ole Bull, who delighted in squeezing every last drop of potential from his beloved violin. In his relentless quest to be recognized as the world's premier virtuoso violinist, Ole Bull was always creative at times taking extreme measures to put his talent on display. Weston was dressed in his usual costume of black velvet, white silk hat, blue sash, white kid gloves, top boots reaching to the knees on the outside of the pantaloons, and gold-mounted riding whip. Six judges took their seats with pencils and a watch. The word go was given and he started off covering the first mile in 13 minutes and 8 seconds. The spectators that took in the event were initially enthused. It was reported, It was extremely exciting to watch Weston as he tripped with the agility of a ballet dancer over the path in a regular and well-timed step, turning round on his heel each time on reaching the judge's box and taking a reverse course. Each time the band struck up an air, he beat the time with his riding whip, evidently cheered with the melody. Weston especially had fans among the women present. <laughs> Reporters were amazed at the popularity of the event. Hundreds and thousands flock to the enclosure, pay their 50 cents, see a dapper little gentleman in neat jockey garb and tight-fitting shoes make a few rapid strides around the circle, 
They note his timekeepers, physician and groom, and should he be near one of his home stretches, they may be excited with the sight of him being in blankets, rubbed down, daintily fed, and then put to bed for a brief time to recuperate his exhausted energies. After reaching 20 miles, Weston went to bed. His distance to and from his bed was also counted in his total distance. Rising before 8 a.m., he ate a breakfast that perhaps modern six-day runners should give a try. Mutton chops, egg flip, similar to eggnog, stale bread, and eight ounces of coffee. At the end of the first day, he was right on schedule and reached 80 miles. The New York Times continued to give a blow-by-blow of Weston's walk on page one of their newspaper as it captivated the city. During day three, he tried reaching 112 miles in a 24-hour period. Occasionally, he would strike out into a very rapid and powerful pace amid the applause of the spectators. On that day, it was said, His step has lost a good deal of its former buoyancy and he did not exhibit the same sprightly movement. Fatigue and sleep deprivation hit him hard. (sighs) Every now and then his eyelids would drop, and the muscles of his face would become contracted, showing that nature was more powerful than his indomitable will. An alarming report went out that Weston resorted to, quote, lashing his legs with his riding whip until the blood spurted in order to wake himself up. He and his handlers eventually realized that it wouldn't be possible to complete the 112-mile challenge, and in his 266th mile, while very dizzy, he gave up that quest and went off to bed. Reaching 400 miles in five days also became out of reach on day five. He looked haggard and worn out. Dark rings were around his eyes and he continually placed his hands to his head as though he felt dizzy. He did sprint his fastest laps during his last mile, which delighted the crowd. Weston finished during the evening of the fifth day with 320 miles, with no plans to continue on to try to match Powell's 400 miles in six days. The doctors announced that during the, quote, tramp, he did not take in any liquor or stimulant or any narcotic, but was affected negatively by the tobacco smoke that filled the rink. (coughs) Professor Dormus proclaimed, We have witnessed one of the proudest illustrations of physical endurance on record in sacred or profane history since Adam. But newspapers across the country published the news of his failure, and some called it a foolish attempt. Other comments were especially cruel, saying that Weston was trying to walk himself to death and that they were sorry he failed doing that too. The New York City press was especially delighted that he, quote, failed to make the new Dodge a success charging that the entire event was a money-grab attempt on the gullible public and that the advancement of science twist was lame. They were sure he would again attempt to hoodwink the public. Weston was again called a humbug. 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 Try again. 
In June 1871, it was announced that Weston would try for 400 miles in five days again. This time he would also go after the 112 miles, but do it on the first day. He again attempted it in the Empire Skating Rink. The track laid down for him was again seven laps to a mile, with a two-inch layer of dirt and sawdust on boards, which was an improvement on the track's surface from the previous year. Improvements were also made to the air ventilation in the building. Weston started out on June 12, 1871 at 12.05 a.m. in front of a very small crowd in his usual velvet suit. But after only three laps, the vest and hat were discarded, and he was all business. The first mile was walked in 12 minutes and 24 seconds. He kept up a good pace during the first day. His step was quick and buoyant, and his friends seemed confident of his ability to accomplish his giant undertaking. By noon, he reached 62 miles on target for his 112-mile day. He kept it up until 5 p.m., 17 hours, when he stopped for a brief rest and a hearty meal. The rink was thronged in the evening with spectators, eager to witness the great feat of pedestrianism. He reached 100 miles in an impressive 21 hours and 1 minute, and succeeded in reaching 112 miles in 23 hours, 44 minutes, and 45 seconds. During the early morning, he walked on and off. (sighs) He became drowsy and used his whip for a little on his legs to wake himself and them. But when daylight broke, he regained his vigor. After day three, he reached 233 miles, somewhat behind schedule, and after four was at 320 miles, the mileage he ended up with on his first attempt. He started his final day's walk at 4.43 a.m. with a good sleep of four hours. He knew he had to walk 80 more miles. After the first 20 miles on swollen feet, he stopped for 20 minutes for breakfast and a rest. Continuing on, he did not stop until reaching 50 miles. For the final 30 miles, he exchanged his velvet suit for silk tights. During the last five miles, both Weston and the audience were aroused to an intense state of excitement, cheering almost continually, and Weston winning applause by walking backwards, running, jumping, and performing many playful tricks in order to demonstrate the large amount of physical force he yet held in reserve. During the last lap, with 18 minutes to spare, his face glowed and he finished his 400 miles in four days, 23 hours, 42 minutes, just 20 minutes slower than the fastest known time accomplished in 1822. He did it. Two men placed him on their shoulders and ran a lap around the track. He was brought back to the dressing room. The audience cheered for him to return and his friends brought him back and carried him around. He made a speech and thanked America for its inspiration and to God more than all who had given him strength. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. He said he would not do the multi-day walk again unless some foreigner beat his time. This time the New York press critics were silent. But just a week later, his rival, Cornelius Payne, started walking in the same rink in an attempt to beat Weston's 112 miles in 24 hours. Cornelius Payne did not succeed, and an article joked that Weston now had the title of The Payne Annihilator. 
Over the next couple years, Weston rode his fame and traveled the country widely doing walking exhibitions, mostly at fairs and giving lectures. Edward Payson Weston, the famous pedestrian, offers to walk at agricultural fairs during the ensuing fall for the modest sum of $150. Weston's reputation seemed to be declining, and he needed to do something big in 1874, something that no one had ever accomplished before. Weston set his sights doing what no one had done before, walking 500 miles in six days. In April 1874, he announced his intentions to walk in the American Institute Hall, which had recently taken over the building that once housed the Empire Skating Rink. Weston promised to also walk 115 miles during a 24-hour period. The Boston Herald editorialized that he couldn't do it. Weston had plenty of doubters. The New York Times wrote, there will be no difficulty encountered by critics in decrying the feat of Weston. They can cite the case of Foster Powell, who is said to have walked in 1788 from London to York and back again a distance of 396 miles by the coach road in 140 hours. The article then cited other past pedestrian accomplishments and stated, If Weston completes the task in which he is engaged, he will have surpassed all previous performances of the kind. Weston's true motives for attempting 500 miles were questioned, but one writer actually identified some public value. The example of Weston will induce our young men to use their legs rather than the streetcars to the great benefit of their health and the much-needed relief of the public conveyances. By going to see him, citizens would gather useful information considering the art of walking, in which most of them are profoundly ignorant, as if nature had not gifted them with legs. Weston started at 12.05 a.m. Monday morning on May 11, 1874. Weston started strong and reached 25 miles in 4 hours 54 minutes, after which he took his first 6-minute break. He lay down on the cot in front of the judge's stand, had his legs rubbed down, and had his head and arms washed while someone fed him broken crackers soaked in coffee. What happened during his longer stop after 85 miles probably makes modern ultra-runners wonder. He was hauled off the track, placed on a sofa with his feet elevated, and then sponged down by two attendants. A third rubbed down his legs using the palms of his hands. That's fine. While he rested, whiskey was poured through tubes into his shoes, which was thought to stimulate the circulation in his feet. His stockings were also soaked in liquor. He believed that whiskey made his feet and ankles capable of more endurance. For his meals, he feasted on underdone cold roast beef, crackers, and coffee. Yum! The enthusiastic spectators were just as important motivators as his handlers were. They spurred him on as the live band livened things up. Weston responded with smiles and bows. At times, Weston wanting more attention would pour on the walking speed which caused the ladies to go crazy with excitement as they waved handkerchiefs. One third of the spectators who came each day were ladies. 
Weston did successfully reach 115 miles during the first day as he promised as part of the wager, with nine minutes to spare. It was rumored that wagerers lost $50,000 betting against him accomplishing that. Loser, loser. Weston then reached 170 miles after day two, 232 after day three, and 300 miles after limping on the fourth day. The lining inside a shoe had doubled over, causing him significant pain. Ugh. He then knew that he had to finish off with 100 miles for each of the remaining days. On day five, he fell down in front of the judges' stand. By midnight, he reached 368 miles. The crowd sadly knew he would not achieve 500 miles. Even with obvious failure in the cards, the crowds wanted to come to watch. The crowd had by this time increased to such proportions that there could not have been less than 6,000 persons present in the building, while thousands were waiting in line on the sidewalks. Carriages were setting down and taking up their occupants as fast as they could draw up to the entrance, where some six ticket sellers were being constantly employed. The crowds filled all the available space around the sides and in the center of the hall. The boundaries of the track were almost broken down by the press of those who wished to catch a glimpse of Weston as he passed by rapidly. Like modern crowds doing the wave, cheers and waving handkerchiefs moved in a wave as he passed by around the hall. As he completed his final 430th mile, he sank into his chair exhausted and entirely overcome. He was greeted with the wildest applause and an eager throng of spectators rushed toward the judge's stand to congratulate him. Weston was so overcome that he could do no more than bow an acknowledgement, and by the advice of the doctors, he was removed to his room. He was carried by police through the crowd, put to bed, and immediately fell asleep. The press was quick to point out that he failed. One critic called him the Great American Fizzler. A thoughtful article published in the Altoona Tribune in Pennsylvania examined the type of multi-day events that Weston was promoting. It started off, It is a common saying that Americans love to be humbugged. There is a genius of genuine Yankee enterprise named Edward Payson Weston. The main criticism was Weston's events were not races against multiple people, but were money-making exploits that rarely accomplished what was promised. People loved watching horses race against each other, but there would be little interest in watching a champion horse run solo around a track. Weston was not competing against others in his walks. Earlier in 1868 and 1869, he did compete in two 100-mile races in upstate New York against Cornelius Payne and lost both. Since then, he shied away from head-to-head -head matches. Who would be the first in history to reach 500 miles in six days? Others wanted to be the first and quickly made plans to try. When would true six-day races be introduced? But never, never on a Sunday, a Sunday, a Sunday, cause that's my day of rest. Stay tuned for part three in the six-day race history. With that, this is Davy Crockett 
and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>